0: Good morning, church. My name is CJ, and it's my joy to serve as one of the pastors here at Grace. Uh, And as you can see on the screen, uh, this morning we are beginning a new series titled Fueling the Mission. Fueling the Mission. Uh, And in order to understand the, the hope behind this sermon series, we have to start with understanding what is our mission? What is the mission of Grace Church? Uh, I hope you see it every day when you walk or every Sunday when you walk out of these doors. Our mission here is to make more and better followers of Christ. And I want us to notice the dual aspect um, nature of this mission statement. We're not just here to make more followers of Jesus, um, so we're not just trying to evangelize people, to reach people with the gospel and see, see people be saved. That's certainly one of the things we're trying to accomplish, but we're also trying to accomplish becoming better followers of Christ. Our hope, our desire at this church is that we would grow more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we would put off the old self and learn to embrace Christ in his new way that he has set for us. That is what we're seeking to do here at Grace. We want to make more followers of Jesus and we want to become better followers of Jesus here in this earth. So what fuels this mission? What, what, what's pushing this mission forward? What's, what's, where, where's the power in this mission? Where, where do we grow? How do we grow, re- rather? How is this mission lived out? That's the question that we're going to be hoping to answer over the next three weeks. And if you heard the passage of Scripture that Pastor Rich read for us just a few minutes ago, you heard from Acts 2, and one of the reasons we were looking at this passage of Scripture over the next few weeks is that this is the the first gathering of the local church. The Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles, the gospel was preached for the first time, and a few thousand people came to Christ, and then Acts 2 picks up right after that, and like, what did the Christians do? What were the first things that these first Christ followers were committed to? And what we read in that passage of Scripture was one of the first things they did was gather. The people of God, the Christians, the people of the faith came together corporately. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Why do we gather? Why is Christianity a gathering religion? Why is it not just individual people living out our individual faiths and our individual lives? Why is there plurality to this faith? Why is it important for us to gather together? That's the question we're hoping to answer. And in answering that question behind why we gather, the hope and desire is that you would see how our gatherings fuel the mission of the gospel and our mission here at Grace. So why do we gather? That's what we're hoping to answer this morning. But before we dive in, I want, to, I want us to pray. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, as we come to your word now and we come to you with this question of why should we gather, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. We believe that your word is living and active, which means that you're speaking through your word to us today. And so God, help us to hear you I think of the, the thousands of distractions that we have, we all have just in our pockets that could take away from this gathering time. Father, I pray that you just do away with them and allow all of us to be present around your word in this moment so that we can accomplish your mission. So that we could be made into more faithful followers of Christ, that we could look more like him. That's what we ask for now from this time. And we pray all of these things in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Amen. The first thing I want us to see is we gather on Sundays to become better followers of of Christ. Gathering here together as a church, week in and week out, somehow makes us better followers of Jesus. And the first thing we need to understand when we think about the gathering of the church is that the, the Christian faith is not an individual faith. I think that's, it's, that's somewhat hard for us to grasp as Americans because we're the most individualistic society that's ever lived, and we think the whole world just revolves around us, myself. I'm the most important person, and that even comes that's even true of my faith. It's about me and God and n- nobody else, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teach us, teaches us that Jesus came, died on the cross, defeated sin, death, and Satan 2,000 years ago. For what reason? To save a people for his own possession. To create a new kingdom, a new nation, a new family of God. When you received salvation, you were saved into the eternal body of Christ that will go on and live for all of eternity in heaven with God. God has saved a people back to himself. It's not all about you. When Jesus came into your heart and, and made you alive, you were born into a community. And that's why it's important for us to gather Because when we come together as a church, we're reminded that it's not just about us. It's not just about my my own self. But God is doing something here on earth through the church, through all of us, God is working. Christianity is a plural faith. It's, It's a faith filled with people from all different demographics and backgrounds and cultures in all nations. When we gather together as a church, we're reminded of that. So as God's people, as we gather together, not just to live out our own personal faith, but to live out our faith together, why is it so important that we do this? Why should we gather week in and week out? If you have your Bibles, would you just flip open to Hebrews chapter 10 for just a moment? And it's in this chapter that we get a very clear instruction about the gathering of the church. Hebrews 10, looking at verse 24. Look what the author of Hebrews says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the, the day drawing near. Did you catch that important phrase? Not neglecting to meet together. If you're a Christian and you want to take your faith seriously, don't neglect to meet together like we're meeting together right now. Don't neglect that. Don't, don't come like once a year or once a month. But No, come as often as you can. Do not neglect this. What does the, the Bible tell us? Why do we do this? Because we're considering how to stir one another up to love and good works. And then towards the middle of verse 25, because it encourages one another. We meet together for what purpose? To encourage one another, to stir one another up, to spur each other on. There's something about gathering together as the people of God that Encourages us, that fills us up, that motivates us to continue to live the Christian life. But what is it? What is it about this gathering? What is it about when the church assembles that encourages us to love and good deeds? How is that happening? How should that be happening through our gathering? I think we find the answer to that question in answering what's the purpose of the church. What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to do when we gather? Uh, traditionally, this, this uh, answer to that question has been pretty simple. Uh, for, through the past few hundred years, there's really three things that the church does. The church teaches the word, and it administers the sacraments, primarily communion and the Lord's Supper. Or, can I get some water by if any chance? Thank you. I got like a frog in my throat. Thanks, John. The church gathers to teach the word, to baptize people, and to administer the Lord's Supper. There's something about those three things that is uniquely the responsibility of the church to do. And there's something about these three things that somehow encourages us and bonds us together. And here's what those three things have in common. When the church comes together and opens the Bible, and when we eat of the bread and the cup together, and when we see people be baptized into our family, we experience Christ. And that's what all of us need. We all need more Jesus in our life. And when we open the word, we learn about this Christ. When we take communion, we we experience Christ and we remember his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross and how he defeated our sin for us. When we see baptism take place, we're reminded that God is bringing more and more people into our family. And when we gather together and experience these things, we hear from the divine God about how we're to live in his kingdom. When we gather together under the word, we are reminded that God is still speaking through his word and is speaking through these holy sacraments. And this is what the church has been about from the very beginning. Once again, in Acts 2, we read, what did the church do? They gathered together... They submitted to the apostles' teaching, which has been passed down to us for the past 2,000 years. And so we submit to this teaching here today, and they broke bread together. In other words, they broke the communion bread together. That's what the church has done. And when we do these simple things week in and week out, we grow in our faith, in our understanding of who God is. When we practice the sacraments and read the Bible, we are made to look more like Jesus. And we do this together. This is really an important aspect of reading the word and practicing communion, why it's important for us to do it together. One of the primary reasons we need to do it together is because throughout the generations, God is raising up church leaders to oversee these activities. He God, in our midst, raises up elders primarily and other gifted leaders we read about in Ephesians 4, which we'll go there in just a minute, that God raises these people up to oversee these activities because there's a lot that can go wrong when the church gathers. We know we're all broken, we're all messed up, we're all likely to go astray, and so God raises up leaders to oversee the teaching of the word and the sacraments so that we do them correctly, so one of the reasons we need to gather as the church so that people can have oversight over our behavior. Go to Ephesians 4 really quick with me. All, all throughout the second half of the letter to Ephesians, Paul is instructing about the church and what the church is supposed to do. I think we find a, a huge reason here why we ought to gather. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge and of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves carried out about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness." We'll stop there. Why does God raise up gifted leaders in the church to oversee our gatherings? Because we got growing up to do. God wants to raise up the body of Christ into full maturity so that we can look more like Christ, but also so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind in doctrine. That's why we need to come to church. That's why we need to gather because there are... A lot of other teachings out there that are threatening the faith. There's a lot of other gospels out there that can appeal to us. Everyone's preaching a gospel. Everyone has a good news that they're trying to live for and they're trying to pass on to you. And if we don't know the gospel, if we're not planted deeply in the Word of God, and if these Church leaders aren't watching over us, we are threatened to just like follow whatever new teaching of the day is and just going from one faith to the other faith and getting caught up in these deceitful schemes. And so, one of the reasons we gather under church leadership together is so that we can be rooted in Christ, so we can be mature in Him. Not just believing whatever sounds good, but knowing through what we learn at church how to discern what is true, right, and beautiful. And we develop these skills and this maturity when we gather together around the Word of God at church. Friends, I hope you know that's why you show up every week. By showing up every week, we're confessing, I need to be a better follower of Christ. I need to grow in my faith and my understanding of him. And so I'm going to church with the hope that that would be accomplished, that I would be more mature, more, more, I would learn more in my faith through attending. And something cool happens when we do this together. One of the, the, the causes of us gathering together around the same truth is that we grow in unity. That's why we gather together on Sundays. When we surround ourselves around the same passages of Scripture, learning the same things, there's, our, our hearts grow in the same direction. And our motivations propel us towards the same places. And this is part of the call of the church to be a unified people, all moving towards heaven together. And that unity is accomplished when we gather. This is why we gather on Sunday mornings. But before we move on, there's one more aspect of gathering that I want to focus on that's a little bit different than the word and the sacraments. If you could turn to Colossians 3.16. There's, a, there's a, two commands in the New Testament that talk about singing. Why do we sing every Sunday morning? Why is that an essential part of our gathering? Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's what we're doing right now. When church comes, sits under the word. What else do we do? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts. This is what the church does. We come together and we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And then in Ephesians 5, we read what we do this, we do this singing that stirs up thankfulness in our hearts, not just for our own hearts, but to encourage the people around us. There's something about being in a room of other believers when we hear them singing the truth of God, encourages us. It reminds us we're not in this alone. There's other people that have filled in this room that have filled this room that also believe the truth that we believe. And so when we gather together, we sing not just to bring glory to God, he's deserving of our sings, but we sing to one another. A a, a practice of mine almost every Sunday, in in the middle of a song, I'll just stop singing and let you all sing to me. And I just try to, just, just for like 10 seconds I stop, and I hear all of your voices collectively bringing praise and honor to God because what that does is it tells me, yes, God is deserving of all praise. All of these people here believe this truth. And there's something about doing this corporately that encourages us and reminds us that this is how we ought to live. Friends, the Christian life is hard. It's difficult. This way of following Jesus is is narrow. And there's so many things in this life that are threatening to pull us away, that want to discourage you, that want you to, that want you to lose faith. So many things that want you to grow that are tempting you to grow idle in your faith, that want you to slow down in your pursuit of Christ. And we all know we're bombarded by these things all the time. We're bombarded by the pursuit of money. It's 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 astonishing to me how overwhelmed I can be throughout my week just figuring out how do I make enough money to survive? How do I just get a little bit more so I'm comfortable? How do I position my finances and what I what I bring in to to set up my life to just have a better life, a more comfortable life? I remember when I was single, that the, the, the pursuit of wanting to be married was just like filled my mind all the time so much so that I would forget to pursue God because it was just this thing that I needed. We have temptations to, to sin, to want to wanna just pleasure ourselves and live for anything but God. We have constant thousands upon thousands of hours of entertainment that we can stream on our phone that just want to distract us. And this is why we need to come to church every week. We need to gather together to encourage one another, no, those things, even though some of them are good things, they're not ultimate things. You and I need the church. We need this gathering to remind us that God is our ultimate pursuit. And that he is the only one that can truly satisfy us. And so, let us gather together every Sunday for these reasons. Come here to this place, not to just see your friends. Not to just come because that's what Christians do. But no, come here expecting to grow. Expecting to be made a better follower of Christ. This is why we gather on Sundays. But there's also something about this gathering that fuels the other aspect of our mission. I hope you saw in that first point how Sunday gatherings makes better followers of Christ. There's something about attending services that matures us in our faith. But Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians 14, if you go ahead and turn there, that something about our gatherings on Sundays makes more followers of Christ. Gathering here, assembling together, somehow brings more people into the faith and in this section of uh, first corinthians paul 's writing all about the church gatherings and how to practice things and um, when we 're all together and there 's this two verses in verse twenty four through twenty five that i 've often passed over, but are super evangelistic in, 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 in our purpose for meeting. Look what Paul says in verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What does Paul say happens when an unbeliever enters the church? What happens when someone who doesn't know Jesus enters the church? He's convicted of his sin. He realizes that there's enmity between him and God. And he sees God that he's real and that he's worthy to be worshipped. How does this happen? How does someone walking in our doors experience this? First off, They hear the gospel. An unbeliever should come into our doors every week and hear the best news in the world, that God loves them and that God has saved them through Jesus. And upon hearing that message, they should believe. The other way unbelievers come to know Christ through our gatherings is they should see our love for one another. An unbeliever should come here and see the way that we treat each other, the way that we talk to each other, the way that we love each other. And that should make them curious. They should also experience our love towards them. We should be excited when unbelievers come through our doors, be interested about them, and hope and pray that God would save them. Most people, most people who, who, who trust in Jesus come to the faith By being loved into the kingdom. Most Christians have never, most non-Christians have never experienced true love before. They've never experienced another person solely devoted to caring and providing for their needs. And so we have a great opportunity in our gathering when unbelievers come to just shower them with love. And show them the love that God has for them in Christ Jesus. This is how when they come at our gatherings, they will see that we are a new people. We're a new nation, a new city set on a hill, shining the light of Christ. Friends, know that, that part of our evangelistic call, part of the, the way we live out the call to share the gospel with the world is simply by gathering. I know it can be easy to be discouraged. Like, ah, I don't have a ton of courage to just walk up to random people and share my faith. I can't obey these commands and scriptures to go share the gospel. If that's you, know that simply by showing up, you are evangelizing. You are providing a place where people can come and see you believe in the gospel. God uses your church attendance to draw more people to himself. So you want to see other people get saved? If you want to see people come and be reconciled to God, just show up to church. Be here. Live out your faith here. And God will use that simple act of obedience to draw people to himself. And I'm so thankful that this is true. This is my wife's story. If you didn't know, my wife Morgan had never heard the gospel until she was 19 years old. She grew up her whole life never hearing the gospel. And someone when she was 19 invited her to a church service and it completely changed the course of her life and the course of her eternity. She was invited to a gathering of believers and there the scales fell off of her eyes and she was made new. This is how God works in our lifetime. This is what we invite people into. And and this is why we gather to see more people follow Christ, to see more people enjoy God forever. This is why we need to invite people to church. I know it can be scary and intimidating. I have a deep fear of inviting my neighbors to church on Sunday, even though I'm a pastor. I don't know what it is. There's just something that's like uncomfortable to me about inviting them. I don't, I don't want them to feel weird. I don't, want, I don't want there to be like an awkward relationship between us. But if I truly love them and I truly care about them, I would invite them here. Why? So that they can know and enjoy God. So that they could be saved. This is why we gather. To see unbelievers reconciled to God and worship him forever. And I just want to stop here. If you are here this morning, and you are not yet a believer, know that today is the day of salvation. If you've gathered in this place, and you're witnessing us talk about the gospel, and talk about Jesus, know that this Lord, and this Savior Christ, can be your king today too. We believe that 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe came down, took, upon, took on flesh, and lived a perfect life. And in living a perfect life he became the perfect candidate to sacrifice himself on our behalf. And if you're here and you carry the weight of your sin, you know that you've disobeyed God and you have no place in heaven because of your sin, know that Jesus has taken that sin upon himself when he died on the cross in your place so that you don't have to so that you don't have to spend eternity in hell. If you're here and you've not yet believed in Jesus, please know that he is here today, arms open wide, ready to welcome you in. Believe in him. Trust in him. Ask for forgiveness of your sins. Give your life to Jesus and he will save you. The Bible says if you repent and believe in Jesus, you will be saved. It's that simple. If you don't know Christ today, The call of the Bible and the call of this church is believe in him. He alone can save your soul. If you're not saved, please come to Jesus today. Now before we close, there's one more gathering that I want to draw our attention to. We believe here at Grace that gathering in small groups is essential to us living out our mission here as a church. And what is it about small groups that help us live out this mission? If you didn't know, it's been the pattern of Christians over the past like few decades to to come uh, to regain the practice of gathering together in smaller groups. Groups that 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 assemble not on Sunday mornings outside of the main church gathering and they seek to 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 live out their faith more intimately with one another. It's a place to know other people and to be known by other people. Why is this necessary? Why is this important? The reason churches have been doing this recently is because our churches have grown. Most local churches in the New Testament were 30 people max. 30 people. And in those small little local churches, they could easily live out all of the commands of the Bible But on a Sunday morning, if you come here, including kids, we can have upwards of 250 here on a Sunday morning. How do we live out the commands of the Bible amongst a crowd that large? See, the New Testament is filled with 49 one another commands commands that that were given to us that, that teach us how we conduct ourselves with one another, with other Christians. And truthfully, it's impossible for us to live out the majority of those commands here on a Sunday morning. There's just too many of us. Listen, listen to just some of these commands that we're called to live out as believers. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. "...honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, instruct one another, have equal concern for each other, serve one another, carry each other's burdens, be patient, bearing with one another in love, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, in humility consider others better than yourselves." Bear with one another, admonish one another, build each other up, spur one another on toward love and good deeds, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. How do we live this stuff out on a Sunday morning? We can't. We show up, we get in our seats, we hear the word, we worship God, all necessary and good things... But in a group this size, like, who do I move towards? Who do I serve? Who do I, who do I confess my sin to? Who do I read the Bible with? Who do I dig deeper with? That's why we have small groups. These small groups are, are supposed to be a place where real discipleship happens. Where we encourage one another to grow. Where we open up our Bibles together and hold, behold the truth of God together. We impact the mysteries of the gospel and apply them to our lives in a personal way. These small groups are how we grow in our faith and become better followers of Christ. And in these small groups, it's also where the church becomes a family. It's where we share life together, where we open up ourselves we know building those sort of familial relationships takes time. Nonetheless, it's our call. Multiple New Testament scholars argue that the primary identity of the church is a family. What is the church? It's a family. And the question is, how do a group of 250 people become family? How do, they, how do we family one another how do we get to know sort one another in the sort of way that, that makes us feel brotherly affection for each other? We have to gather in more intimate settings, week in, week out, devoting ourselves to one another, being vulnerable with one another. That's how that happens. That personal, familial relationship won't develop in a group this large. It just won't. And so we commit ourselves as, as Christians to gather in these small groups so that we can become family to one another. So that we can know one another in a more intimate way. I am so thankful for the intimate small group of believers that I've uh, had the pleasure of being a part of throughout my Christian life. I, I, I have many older men and women in the faith that have become like spiritual parents to me that have modeled how to endure the trials of life throughout the decades. In these small groups, I've also developed many spiritual brothers and sisters that together we, we admonish one another to, to run the race with endurance. I'm so thankful for these small groups that, that, that I developed healthy Uh, spiritual relationships with women, spiritual sisters in the faith that could gently correct me and call out my sin. There's a woman at my church in LA who was a sister in Christ and she saw this ugly pride in me when I was young and she gently drew attention to that, graciously exposed that, brought it to the light and God used her in my life to make me more like Jesus. Jesus. And if I wasn't in a small gathering of Christians with people like her, I don't think I I would look more like him. But God uses these gatherings of, of, of small groups of people to mature us in our faith. These people should become the shoulders we cry on. They become the friends that we rely on, the people we go to in our hours of need, the people that are praying for us and supporting us in times of crisis. Friends, we believe at this church that, that one of the, the ways the mission of our, of our church is fueled, one of the ways we become better followers of Christ is by being in a small group. And I want to emphasize this point so much because right now we have taken a break from small groups and we're reworking them. And come in the fall, we're gonna relaunch these small groups, and you're gonna have the opportunity to join one. To live out what I was just talking about. And and we as elders wanna encourage all of you, join a small group. And don't just sign up for one. Really give yourself to the group. Show up consistently. Be honest with those in your group. Allow other people to serve you. Be there for your peers. Prioritize those gatherings. Brothers and sisters, we gather together to live out our mission. We come to church with these expectations in mind, hoping, believing that God is going to use our attendance to make more and better followers of Jesus. And so if you want to live out the mission of this church, we must gather. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would use our gatherings to fuel our mission that you would use are just simply showing up to make us more and better followers of Christ. God, would you use this gathering to be a city on a hill, shining the light of your gospel? When we see 1 Corinthians 14 take place here, when we see unbelievers come through these doors, be convicted of their sin, know that you are God and enter into relationship with you. Would you use, God, these gatherings to disciple us, to mature us in our faith, and to help us run this race with endurance. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.